0: Do you ever feel that your life is like living inside of a dark tunnel, gloomy, even hopeless? You don't really see a way out, going through routines, stuck. We will be discussing how do I find the light at the end of the tunnel? And that light is not the light of an oncoming train. Please join me in this critical discussion, how we can lift our lives from that sometimes monotonous, challenging, dark space. Hi everyone, Simon Jacobson here. How do I find the light at the end of the tunnel? That is what we will be discussing. All of us will go through in our lives, ups and downs, twists and turns, moments of great joy and even ecstasy, and then moments of uh, gloom, despondency, sometimes even more depressed state. So do you ever feel like you're living inside of a tunnel? It's dark, gloomy, often even hopeless. Sometimes those moods pass and sometimes they don't. Thoreau wrote that most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Why quiet? Because we figure out how to adjust We're resilient, so we manage. How many people have told me? My life, how are you doing? You know, I manage. I've been broken in many ways, been hurt. But I pick myself up and I try to forge ahead. It's pretty obvious that as we get older, we become less optimistic. Those dreams, those aspirations, that idealism that marks and is the hallmark of a teenager's life, in most cases, often wanes as we get a little older. People throw in the towel, more resigned. Some say it's being realistic. You know, there was a time when we dreamt, and now we're being realistic. So I want to address all of that, because there's no one that does not face this question during their lives, and sometimes on a daily basis. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? How do I find that light? So the joke goes that the person is told, the person is living in a very dark situation, and his therapist tells him, you know, yes, it's dark right now, you're inside of a tunnel, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes you in a tunnel and you're driving and driving, and then suddenly you see, ah, it starts getting brighter, you realize there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And his client says to him, yes, I know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's the light of the oncoming train. <laughs> so not only is not a light at the end of the tunnel, the light is actually a collision course. So even when we're told that, it could also take a negative spin. And then, of course, this leads us to the big question... Why is it that some people who are in tunnels seem to know how to navigate and actually find that light? I don't mean of the oncoming train, I mean of a real light, a real new opening, an opening. That's what it really is. And others find it difficult to do. Is this how we're wired? Is it based on our parents and early formative years? How their attitudes were when they were stuck or when they were in a place of that nature? Is there something more? Well, obviously, I wouldn't be speaking about this if I thought it was hardwired, and that's it. Was the point? Either you're, that you're able to find it, or you're not able to find that light. So we'll be speaking about ways of actually believing that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and more importantly, how do I find that light? How do I see that light at the end of the tunnel? So, as always, when you speak about topics like this, there's always the great channel challenge of that. When you're in the emotional throes of any feeling, whether it's a passionate, positive experience, or it's something, a negative experience, it's very difficult to reason with you when you're in that place. And I say you, I mean me too. Because emotions have that ability to consume us. They take over. And when you try to speak rational thinking to an emotional state, it's two different languages. In an extreme level, just to, someone has bleeding heart or due to a loss, trauma, or grief, God forbid. A brilliant mind cannot speak to a, a bleeding heart. It's two different languages. Not just two different languages, two different paradigms. And understanding that is critical. Because very often, the naive you may say, let me try to get through to that person. Now, by all means, try. But experience teaches us that sometimes that's not the right approach. Well, I just say sometimes. The truth is, it's never really the correct approach when a person is in that emotional state. They need emotional language. Emotions respond to emotions. The mind responds to the mind. So if a person is in that balanced place where they're somewhat removed from their emotional subjectivity, By all means, then you have a conversation. But when someone is in a position where you see clearly their emotions are in control, the wisest thing to do is be there with them. If you care about the person, you hold their hand, literally or figuratively. You empathize. You try to listen. And above all show I'm with you. That gives individual strength. Why do I say this in this context? Because the same is true. When a person, to say to someone... Was in a very dark place or in a foreboding and I feel really hopeless or resigned to say let me tell you something people have been here before and you'll get through it so if you say it in that tone that i just said it usually will fall on deaf ears not because you're say- not saying something correct because that person's not capable of hearing that is it true it's true of course it's true people have been in dark places And people who've gone through, gotten through it can actually help the rest of us who have not yet. They teach us through their resilience, through their strength, through their experience. So the challenge is how do you communicate, not just philosophically, but emotionally about this topic? The philosophical part, which we're also addressing, obviously, is necessary because you need to know in your own heart in your own mind and soul, the dynamics of tunnels and lights of the end of the tunnel. And we'll be addressing that. But the big challenge is not just the concept. It's how to speak about it when a person is in that situation. So we will begin. Let's begin with the the dynamic of the tunnel vision, if you wish, of that state of mind. That state of mind and... In an extreme situation, we're talking about trauma, loss, shock, anything that really causes a person to feel, I can't get out of here. That's a state, that's a true state of, that a person is in. Is it true objectively that he can't get out or she? That's, no, that's not the case. Because we see people have, as they see, the only way, as they say, the only way out is through. So at the moment, it seems difficult, but then in time, You recognize and you look back in retrospect and see, yes, it was a process that every dark state can lead to a greater place if you allow it to. On a deeper level, the darkness is actually a stepping stone toward greater light. You'll see that many of the great things that have happened in the world, many great innovations, inventions, creativity came out of either frustration or worse. So in that context, it was actually the catalyst, that darkness, that tunnel, that allowed us to discover a greater light. Because when we're comfortable, we're more apathetic, and we don't have the pressure that often elicits and evokes from us our best. In the words of the Talmud, that an olive produces its oil by pressing it. The pressure produces oil. And the same thing in the human being, human spirit. But I said, again, this is the idea, the philosophy. So this can be shared, no matter where a person may be, but the challenge, as I said, is not the actual concept, is how do you speak to the heart, emotions that are not feeling it. And often you'll hear someone say, I understand all that, I've read it, I know it, I've told it to others, but now I'm in a place that I don't get it. So here we need to go a little further and deeper into the very nature of what darkness is. In mysticism, in the Kabbalistic literature, there's a concept that some of you may have heard of, I've spoken about it quite often. It's called Simtsum. Simtsum. Simtsum is a doctrine, sometimes referred to as the Seydat Tsimtzum, the secret of the Simsum, that originates in the writings of the, the great Rabbi Isaac Luria, known as the Arizal, who lived in the 16th century. Most of his life we know less about, but the primary last two years of his life, or close to two years, he taught in the northern city in Israel of Tzfat. And he was immediately recognized by all his peers as what they called a Gon Eliki, a divine genius, a divine. Um, well genius is his best word here to say but divine they saw something about him that was actually very unique but what we're addressing is this doctrine so though the doctrine the concept existed before and is definitely alluded to in earlier Kabbalistic and mystical works beginning from the great Zohar the classic Zohar but it was the Arizal as he's known Rabbi Luria, Isaac Luria, that defined it and turned it into a comprehensive formula, if you wish. And what does it consist of? To use a simple analogy, it consists of the ability of one paradigm to move to a completely new paradigm. In the the context of of the subject matter itself, that when divine consciousness... Is omnipresent and fills everything. When I say fills, I mean, of course, metaphorically. There's no room for any space for anything else. These are the words of the Ariza. So you cannot have the creation or the presence of any other consciousness. The example: a teacher, a brilliant teacher, who is in, revealed in the full in his full glory. Speaking and, and analyzing and uh, delivering, there's no room for students in that presence. Think of it like the sunlight is completely occupying the space. The tzimtzum, the symptom is key here, because what it does is it conceals. It concentrates, it contracts. Now it's important to remember these are not physical experiences, so we're just using physical language as metaphor. The teacher will do what? He won't just speak without filters. He will fall silent. He'll be quiet. The quiet and the quietude is meant to create space. So now a student can be in his presence and not be overwhelmed. So what, is, what happened with all the brilliance? It didn't disappear. It recedes back into his mind. And it's, it's sitting there. It's lying there. But around him there's space. Someone can be there. And then the teacher will do what? Prepare himself. And begin a stream of consciousness in a way like spoon feeding the student. If it's a true beginner, let's start with A, B, C. Let's compose a word, and a word into a sentence, and sentence. Words into a sentence, and sentences into a paragraph. Paragraphs into a chapter. Chapters into a volume. And so begins the process of transmission from teacher to student. The truth is this can be applied in any given the, the situation love. you may love someone deeply but if you don't have certain boundaries and space for the other, you can end up overwhelming them. There's an expression in the Talmud "Too much good we cannot receive. you flood someone with your love. Besides being spoiling them and overwhelming them, you can also even cause destruction just like a flood. Is as damaging to the fields as a drought. So it's vital that the rainfall of raindrops, which means measured, so the, the earth can absorb it without being destroyed. So the real secret of communication and the secret of love and the secret of relationships is that perfect balance how much flow and how much restraint, the gas and the brakes. In Kabbalistic language is chesed and gvura. Chesed is love. Gvura is restraint, discipline, channeling the love. The rain drops. It's rain, but it's coming in drops. Commensurate to and proportionate to the recipient. And going back to the student and the t- teacher and the student, the same thing with two people who love each other. Love is necessary. The flow is necessary, but it needs to be measured. Tzimtzum is essentially that filter, that regulator between the transmitter and the recipient. And in the cosmic sense, in the words of the Rizal, it is the symptom that creates space for another consciousness, for an independent consciousness. Once the space is created, then as it continues, there's a flow. It's called the kav in the Hebrew, which means a line, a thread of light that flows from the original teacher's mind, now, however, measured toward the needs and the parameters and containers of the recipient, the student. So now when you step back and you think about this, and you were not aware of this whole process, each particular step of the way is only one part of the narrative. So if you look, if you zoom in and magnify the symptom. what will you see? You will see darkness. You will see a state of concealment. You will see a tunnel. And that tunnel, on its own, can seem very dark. If the student doesn't know better, and the teacher is silent, the student could even think, you know what, the teacher has abandoned me. It's an abandonment. I don't hear the teacher speaking to me. But if you see it through, you come to realize one minute, it's only a stepping stone. So here, in this little, I don't want to call it little, in this moment, whether you see the darkness as a stepping stone toward light, or you see it as an end in itself, can lie the entire difference of life and death, of our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations, or the opposite. Because if you don't see it that way, then right now I'm stuck in this vacuum, in this tunnel. I don't see a way out. And I don't know where to go. That's what was called feeling lost. Now, feeling lost, there's many levels. There can be a loss that you at least know that you're feeling that way. There could be, it could be worse. You don't even feel you're in a tunnel. You're getting so comfortable with it. Famous story of a great Chassid Rab Hillel was his name. We're talking around the 19th century. And in the olden days, before the advent of air conditioning, so in the heat of the Russian summers, sometimes unbearable, so where did people find relief? They'd go into these cellars that were away, far away from the, the hot rays of the sun and just to cool off. Now, one day, Reb Hillel goes down to one of these cellars. Now, of course, there's no electricity, so there's also no light. It's a very dark, he comes down, he says, it's so dark here, I can't see anything. So one of the other people who was, in there, who was down there for a while said, don't worry, stay a little while, you get used to it. Meaning you'll be able to begin. So he said, that's exactly what I'm worried about, that I'll get used to it. So there's a darkness, and there's a darkness that conceals a darkness. In the words of the great Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, who said, on the verse in the Bible, the end of Deuteronomy, it says, And on that day, that fateful day, I will conceal my concealed face. Or I will conceal, it says, conceal the concealment of my face. What's the double concealment? That it conceals even the fact that there's a concealment. It's one thing you know, I'm in a tunnel, it's dark. But at least I know it's night, it's not day. But what happens if you convince yourself that night is day and that darkness is light and that sadness is joy? Sounds a little like 1984, newspeak. But emotionally, you get so used to it, you think this is it. Some of us who've suffered feel the status quo of our lives is suffering. It's the default state. And you need to be convinced that's not... Others feel light is our natural state. So we are now in tunnel, a tunnel perspective of things, tunnel vision. And that tunnel of the tzimtzum can be very dark. Because in that step, there needs to be that silence. But in truth, it's not an end to it in itself. It really is a stepping stone. Now, can you explain this to someone who's there in the dark tunnel emotionally? It depends. You can explain it. Something may get through. No pun intended. Some light may get through. Or may not. That's why it's so vital to know who you're speaking to. It's not just what you say. It's how you say it and to whom you say it and what their state of mind is. And that's where empathy comes in. To just tell someone that Simpson, the tunnel, is going to lead you to new light. As a matter of fact, it's the only way to lead you to new light. Because... The brilliance of the light before the tunnel before the symptom does not have a capacity to be contained by us initially is is true, but can a person hear it so then what it, so why do we talk about it if you can't hear it? So for number one, it's important to know this because we're not always going to be in the throes of our emotions, and we're not always in that paralyzed state so by studying it and learning it, what I like calling the cognitive life raft. So even though your emotions may not yet be ready, but the mind at least has absorbed and has registered and relates to the idea. So when the emotions are somewhat more ready and peeking out from their little dark corner, they have something to hold on to. Secondly, just because a person may not hear it doesn't mean it isn't true. And that's why it's important that everybody know this clearly. And as I said, the point number one, it ultimately will seep through. So the first most important point for ourselves and for others is to be around people who have a positive outlook on things. So even if you're emotionally dark, you don't want to be attracted to and drawn to other emotionally dark individuals who just will confirm all your, and all your suspicions and all your fears. I'm not suggesting to drop your friends, and sometimes it's important to be with people who are going through, But with what you're going through, but with a hope. One of the key things in all recovery is that you're with people that are like you, going through recovery, but recovery is the goal, not the addiction. So the goal is to find the light at the end of the tunnel. So it's important to be with people whether you're in that situation or someone you know, to be with them and just give them that emotional support. I'm with you. Whether you say the concept of Simpson bringing to revelation, the light and then the tunnel, that depends on the circumstances I elaborated earlier. But to be, I'm with you. Because you know in your heart that being with that person helps somewhat mitigate, somewhat subdue, and weaken the hold of that very dark place. The mere fact that you're with is already a light. The, under, the individual may not know it yet. Because many people say, you don't want to be with me now when I'm in this dark place. Sometimes people say this to their closest friends. You don't want to be, I'm, I'm damaged goods. I will just bring you down. My darkness is too intense. It actually becomes a catalyst for retreating Because you want into a lonely, isolated place, which is never helpful. Yes, we all need our space, and we all need to sometimes have our privacy. That's not what I'm addressing. But not an isolation and loneliness that just feeds into the darker tunnel and digs deeper in, which makes it more difficult to find the light. But here, too, you can't assault someone's boundaries. If someone feels they need space, you obviously have to respect that. You say, I'm always here for you. I'm never going to leave you. That gives a person strength. So even in that darkness of the tzimtzum, says the Arizal, there's a thing called Rishimo. There's some trace. Some, something something remains from that original state pre-tsimtzum. It's concealed, but it's there. So we're not talking about a 100% airtight vacuum. It still needs light to enter, to reveal what's there. But it's like telling somebody who has inner strength and they don't know it yet, it's there. You just have not accessed it yet. So though that symptom is a dark tunnel, but the tunnel itself carries within it the potential that is to come, the light that will come afterwards. So it's not light that it contains, but it contains what we call letters. The potential for containers that that dark symptom, the dark tunnel, creates, and then when the stream of consciousness begins, those letters come alive, and they carry the DNA of pre-symptom consciousness. So, in this context, what you have here is the dynamics of how this works, and I will definitely dedicate more an upcoming series to discuss this far more at length, just wanted to give an overview of it. And what it leads us to come to understand is the dynamics of darkness and light, and the dynamics of symptom and revelation. And the context, the psychological context, means that there is no such thing as a tunnel, that's an end in itself. It's not just the light at the end of the tunnel, the tunnel itself is leading toward that. So the first thing, as I said, is empathy, compassion. I'm there with you. The second thing is, we are on a journey. A journey. So you may not see the light yet under the tunnel, but know you're on a journey. Just as you got into the tunnel, you're continuing to journey. Your life didn't begin inside of a tunnel. So just as you got here, you continue the journey. So let's just travel together. And as you travel, and a person sees that someone believes in them, and is around others that have been through difficulties and have built greater strengths. Life breaks all people, as Hemingway wrote, and some are stronger in the broken places. So the light begins to emerge. Maybe first just like the, the dawn, the break of dawn, just as a glimmer, glimpse, but it begins to emerge. And you're ready because you are prepared at least cognitively to this concept. So how do you find the ladder at the end of the tunnel? You surround yourself with people who believe in you, who do not give up on you, and do not buy into the narrative that you may even be selling, which is, it's hopeless, it's dark. There's no way out. Number two, study. There's nothing wrong with reading about tunnels. It may not get through to you immediately, but at least... Your mind is going to places like that. Don't allow yourself to give in and let your mind also give up. So you can kind of, we all can dream. Many of us dream, we imagine about realities that not necessarily right now on the ground. You say, what's the point, just fantasy, delusion? No, that's not the point. The point is that you want to free your mind and open up new possibilities. It's just like somebody who's living in a very toxic chamber and needs to open up a window has to go outside for a walk. Get some fresh air in your life, a new class, a new song, a new friend, a new experience. Don't allow the darkness to suck you in to the point that you're not even open to experiencing something new. Like a black hole that's gravitational pull sucks us in. You need to counter that. And one great place to begin is with your mind. And when I say mind, I don't just mean intellectually, I mean allowing yourself to read a new book, to hear a new song to experience a new experience. What that does, it weakens the hold of the tunnel and reveals its true purpose, which is the light of the end of the tunnel. And if you forge ahead and do not give up, and at times you'll just need to do it by, just by willpower alone, not because you're in the mood. Sometimes you're not in the mood. What will happen is you will discover and find that light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not an oncoming train, but it's actually a new opening. To the point that you come to even realize. And this, I have heard from people who have been to very dark tunnels, that the tunnel itself served a great purpose in your life. Because when you see the full story, you come here, it was the tunnel that led you here. That the higher states of awareness came because of the Tsim And that's how the Kabbalists conclude the story, that ultimately that Simpsonism isn't just for, to allow the consciousness, an independent consciousness to emerge and a stream to enter into it, the student, but the student begins to grow and expand their, his or her containers. And as he or she does that, able to absorb more of the light and more of the light to the point that the student, the recipient, can experience everything that the teacher has even the pre-symptom, even the pre-tunnel consciousness. And there becomes a fusion between the two dimensions. And then you continue to grow and grow further. To the point you even grow beyond pre-symptom. But that we need to reserve for another conversation and discussion. So, my friends, I've committed my life Meaning for Life Center, our wonderful team, to do exactly that, to be there for everyone that's inside of a tunnel and to give hope and courage and strength and fortitude to forge ahead, recognizing that the tunnel itself is simply a stepping stone toward greater light. So I bless you all and wish upon you that you should have the the least amount of aggravation inside the tunnel and the most in finding the joy and the pleasure of discovering the light at the end of the tunnel. And please see me and see us as a resource, as a friend and ally. Meaningfullife.com is our uh, hub, our oasis. Feel free to browse. There's a full schedule of programming different topics for different audiences, for different states of mind, for different moods. We're living in challenging times in many ways. We also have great gifts and blessings. But even challenges can, can and should serve as leading us to greater growth. And may that be the case to each one of you. Stay healthy, stay strong, and get stronger and stronger, even in the broken places. Be well. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.